just stay there and linger there. Well, some could stay, some couldn't at that point. We're just continuing to just move and flow with the Spirit of God. And, and so, you know, sometimes we just check, see what's next, and praise the Lord. And so, you know, uh, there'll be different times that we linger, different times God speaks to us. You know, I remember last week we were just praying at the end of, of worship, praying, and really a, a tongue came forth, interpretation of that tongue, word from God speaking to us to encourage us. There's different flows in different ways. God's going to be, you know, using you all in different ways, in different forms at times like that. So there's manifestations of the Spirit. Sometimes we don't see that as much. We wonder about that. Um, Praise the Lord. But, you know, if you all of a sudden get an unction, you think you have a tongue, um, good place to practice. Amen. Praise the Lord. Step out. We used to say just step out. What if nobody has the interpretation? Well, we'll figure it out as we go. But we have to give place to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Just encourage you in that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good to see you all tonight. Amen. God is so good. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church size and offering, I want to give you an opportunity to give. Make it out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. You can buy cash or debit or credit card. Raise your hand, the ushers will give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the text number uh, might be up there. Um, not yet, but it's coming. Many of you know the text number. We're so thankful for your giving. And uh, again, Tasha gave you that testimony uh, from Turkey. Um, uh, with Iranians, and we sowed into that. You've had a part in that for every missionary that we sow into and places in the world, and we have testimony, people saved and healed and delivered. You have a part in that. Amen. And that's the good news, and so we're so thankful. Uh, really, every opportunity that God gives us to be involved and, and get involved, we're thankful for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. We all good? Father, we thank you every opportunity that we have to give. We acknowledge you and the covenant that we have with you, that everything that we have belongs to you. Everything that you have belongs to us. We're in a great covenant. So we get the opportunity to acknowledge what you've done for us, what you've done in providing for us, and we return that unto you, Jesus. We bring our tithes and our offerings before you to honor you, God, and that which you are doing in the earth and that which you have done in our lives. And so we command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one as they give, that it will be given back to them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give into their bosom, that every single need will be supplied according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Don't let that thing run off too quickly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Open your Bibles to Romans, the sixth chapter. We are going through uh, the book of Romans on Sunday night, and um, whew, I'm telling you, we're, we're uh, turning the corner where, you know, you might, if you've studied Romans, you might see it differently, and that's okay. Uh, these, ver these chapters here are kind of, to me, the signature chapters of, of Romans. I know you're not supposed to. We had a Bible school teacher that said you're not supposed to have a favorite verse or favorite chapter. The trouble he ran into is every now and then when he was teaching, he would say, well, this is my favorite. And so there are just things that stand out to us that if we're studying or we're praying or we're sitting in a place, uh, hear a message, it stands out to us. And when it becomes revelation to us in some form or fashion, you, you, the spirit of God ministers to it and light comes from it. Uh, you know, then you grab a hold of it. It stands out. So maybe not favorite isn't really there, but within that, some things have stood out in my life, and, and I believe that they're the essence of what Paul is saying through much of the, the, the book, the other sides of, of these chapters in the book. And so, you know, we ended, and in, in for the sake of time, uh, we better jump in here, and, you know, usually for the sake of time, I'm not really that great at it. But, um, you know, we ended chapter 5 where Paul made this statement, you know, this big statement that we know where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And then he went on, he said a few things. He said, where sin reigned in death, righteousness reigns through life in Christ Jesus or to life in Christ Jesus. So there was a little gap there where he made that statement, but they... They seem to get stuck on that statement where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And, you know, whenever we get into grace, whenever you try to focus on grace and my personal opinion, which that and, you know, 
Uh, used to say that in a quarter wouldn't get you a phone call, but most young people wouldn't even know what that means anymore um, <laughs> since they don't have pay, pay phones. But, uh, you know, uh, really, you know, I believe that John Bevere has done in recent times as good a teaching on grace as anyone. But, you know, to try to come around to grace and understand the unmerited favor of God and it's not what you do, something in the human nature, the human existence before really understanding grace begins to say, wow, thank God you preached that. I don't have to come to church for God to love me. I don't have to give in the offering for God to love me. I don't have to serve for God to love me. Whew, that's a revelation. So I'm going to quit coming to church. I'm going to quit serving. I'm going to quit giving. And so because of that, people tried to explain that. And just like here in Rome, they're like, wow, if grace does that, why don't we just go ahead and sin so that grace can abound? And so Grace is so powerful, yet the enemy tries to make it so misunderstood that we would just say, well then, uh, man, I just won't do anything, we'll just, or we'll just go ahead and keep living sinful life so we can see grace abound. And really, I don't think that Paul was saying that at all. He said that he was lining out that through one man, sin entered the earth and death through that sin. In other words, sin spread. It abounded everywhere to everyone. Sin had affected everybody. And he said where sin had abounded, Jesus came and grace did much more abound. So sin was already here through Adam. That's what he was saying. And it was reigning in death, separation from God. It was just destroying the plan of God in people's lives. It was taking away from people in life. And he said, now Jesus came. Where sin through the enemy was killing, stealing, and destroying, Jesus came by abundant grace to give life to everybody. So where sin was abounding, grace came through Jesus Christ and did much more abound. Because where sin abounded, the gift, the free gift, was not like the offense. How much more, if death reigned, will grace now bring justification or righteousness? That was the whole thing he said in, in chapter 5 there. He said, sin came to destroy, but he said, how much more? He said, the gift wasn't like the sin because it spread to all men in condemnation, but much more, the free gift spread to all men in justification or redeeming or making man righteous. So they come with this question, you know, as many of us have, and, and in some form or fashion, like, wow, if I don't have to do that. But when we understand justification comes and we begin to understand the love of God and really what grace has done for us, there's something in us through that relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with his body, that we say, I want to study the word. I want to give. I want to forgive. I want to come and serve. I want to do those things. He says, you understand the love of God. First John says this. He said, this is the love of God. This is how we know we love God is when his commandments aren't burdensome. And so we're going to talk about this in a middle minute. Paul talks about, you know, we get to the place where we're feeling like we're burdened down. There's a misunderstanding of what God has done and the grace that empowers us in that. So they start really kind of a conversation with the Apostle Paul here that says, uh, you know, what you just said was grace was pretty amazing. And Paul said, yes, that's true. And what you said is grace is like the most wonderful thing in all of the world. And Paul said, yeah, that's true. And they said, well, so if, if grace is so amazing and sin is actually what causes grace to abound. Why don't we just go ahead and sin so we can see this wonderful grace abound? I mean, really, they were saying, if sin must be good if sin causes grace to come in a higher measure. See how the human mind will mess you up? And so Paul says, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is like, this is absurd. Your thinking got off track. So he goes on to start to talk to him. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He said, if you understand 
what has just happened in when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And really from that perspective, we talked about it this morning. I'll, I'll try not to spend a lot of time on it again. But when, when they were saved, they were immersed into Christ. And in the New Testament church, when they got saved, they got baptized. There was just a, a place where now you're immersed into Christ and the outward declaration of baptism in, in a revelation of now you're in Christed and this is your identification with Christ, right? We talk about identification with Christ in a number of ways, but your initial identification with Christ is that I died with him. So he said, if you died with him, if you died to sin, why would you even start to think, wow, why don't we sin that grace could abound? Because you understood that grace was the thing that came to free you from the sin and the death that it brought. Not just physical death, but the separation from God that sin would bring. Why would you do that just to see grace come into a situation when grace is available all the time? And so he said, well, certainly not. How would we live any longer? Or don't you understand or do you not know that when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in a newness of life. Everybody say newness of life. Come on, he's just, he's talking here. He said, why would we go back to the old life for grace to abound? Don't you know that you died out to that old way of life? That life that came to you from Adam's sin has now, when you've accepted Christ, you've died out to it. And when you were buried in baptism, when you went fully under, you were buried. When you came forth, you came forth in a newness of life. And he's really displaying to them, and we'll continue in this letter, he said, when you came forth, it was by the glory, the glory of the Father, that you came forth to a newness of life. And so in the eighth chapter, as he gets to that, he said, to understand this, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. And that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens or makes alive your mortal body. It quickens it unto God. And so he carries that out in Romans chapter 8, but he starts with that thought here. He says there's a newness of life. He goes on to say, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Praise the Lord. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. He said, listen, there was a sin that came that dictated your life. Without Jesus Christ, it dictated it. It, it dogged your tracks every minute of every day. Whether you knew it or not, it kept you from God. It kept you moving away from God. You were a slave of sin. Again, we, we get this mental mindset of works. Well, I was doing pretty good. I mean, even before God, I was a pretty good person. And sometimes we get this understanding even when we get saved and we see people struggling uh, in, in their Christian life walking. We're like, man, I know people in the world that do better than some Christians do. Well, that's unfortunate, but at the same time, we're not, it's not merited according to what we do or we don't do. It's our belief in Jesus and starting from there and allowing the Holy Spirit to work a process of sanctification unto holiness. And sometimes teaching of grace that it just covers it, we never get to the point that we are actually allowing this resurrection life to, to bring a place of sanctification or separation from sin and death. And now that we've been separated from that, a new life and a new process of life begins, and that is the process of sanctification leaving old things behind piece by piece, every piece that we recognize, sanctifying or cleansing ourselves from that until we become more like Jesus or become holy. And again, in the modern church, holiness has really not been taught very much. You know, we, we see things that maybe got to a little extreme and so we backed all the way off so we don't talk about them, but holiness is, is big. I mean, the Bible says that we should be holy even as Jesus is 
holy. Well, why? How could he even say that? Who could attain to that holiness? He says, listen, this grace came and abounded in your life so that a process could begin that you're no longer a slave of sin, but you're released into the very things of God. All right, so he's, he's just explaining to them this process that started where they had some understanding. Why don't we just sin? It wouldn't, wouldn't sin be good if it caused grace to abound? He said, wow, that's absurd. If you understood what sin was doing and what grace is now doing, you would recognize we don't want any sin and grace will still be at work in our life. Grace will still be at work in our life. Praise the Lord. So he goes on to say, verse 7, he says, For he who has died to sin is freed from sin. Freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. And death no longer has dominion over him. Isn't that good news? He raised from the dead. He's not going to come and die again. Right? He died what, the death that he died one time for every single person. He goes on to say that. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives unto God. He says, do you understand that? He's just saying, this is total identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Total identification with Christ. Again, if you, if you want to study that more, we have books. Mark Hankins has identification with Christ, uh, uh, in Christ's realities that, that he has to understand. Now, how do I identify? If I was buried with him and I raised with him, I'm seated with him, what does that mean? And if Christ died one time for everybody and death is no longer going to have dominion over him, he'll never come to die again. He did it one time for everybody. Conquered death. He said, likewise, or just like this. So if you get the concept, right, if you get the concept that Jesus died, he was buried, he paid the price, he raised from the dead by the power of God the Father, the glory of God the Father, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. When he came up, he had the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He ascended on high, never to die again, to rule and reign at the right hand of God the Father. If you get that concept, he says, now, you might be here in this earth, but just like this, identify with him. Just like this. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, just a minute, just, just a second. Hmm. I have to reckon, reckon, I reckon I'll do that. That word reckon means think yourself. Think yourself. So he said, just like this, think yourself. Think of yourself as dead to sin. Just think for a moment. Just take a moment. Oh, yeah, that thing, I can't help but do it. Now, wait a minute. If you were dead to it, how could it do anything to control your life? That offense, that action... That disobedience to what I know is right, that, that wrong that I shouldn't do, but I do, and it, it's kind of okay to do because I can't help it because I want to do it, but I know I shouldn't want to do it, but I want to do it. But if you were dead to it, just for a moment, if you were dead to it, what control would it have over your life? Even what want to would it have over your life? Come on, when you were in Christ, that thing died. How can it be controlling us? How can it seem to be trying to have dominion over our thoughts and our lives? Because really, as we walk through this, we move quickly, and we don't actually stop and go, wow, this is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Truly, he's never going to die again. He did it one time for everybody. And if I was in him, and I died to sin then I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. And everybody's mind is going, yeah, 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 but I bet you sin. So how can you say that? He didn't say, 
you would never sin again just in this moment. He said, this is up to you right now to take responsibility. Not look at me and say, I bet you sin. Or me and look and say, oh, I bet you still sin. He said, just take a moment because your mind is reeling that if sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Why shouldn't we just sin to see grace? And, and, and the essence of the human nature under sin is trying to save itself. And so well, you can have that Jesus stuff and all that, but you'll never get free of this stuff. Go to church, you can get some relief, you can get some Holy Ghost sprinkles, but be free. Don't ever think you're going to be free of that stuff. And Jesus said, wait a minute, how do you think you got free? I bore your sin, and with your sin and the penalty and the consequence of it, I died on the cross. When I was hanging on that cross, God saw you in me. And God saw when I died, you died with me. When I was buried, you were buried with me. When I raised, you raised with me to a newness of life. Now can you reckon yourself, can I reckon myself dead indeed to sin? Or will sin try to excuse itself in certain areas of our life? He said, therefore, if you count yourself Dead to sin, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lusts. You should obey it, obey it and its lust. And that word lust is epithemia. It means forbidden desire or desire for what is forbidden. There's something, right? There's something in sin at the very core of sin. What did Adam and Eve do? The enemy talked them into desiring something that was forbidden. That was the key of sin, disobedience to God. God says, don't eat that. But for some reason, when he said don't, something in me says do. He said, so when you let sin start to activate in your, it creates desires for what you should not touch. You should not be thinking. You should not be looking at. He says, listen, when you know you died to sin, shut it off so the desires don't stir. So James, you know, in James chapter one, he said this, just like in Adam and Eve, he says, when you're tempted with evil, don't let anybody say, I was tempted by God. Because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil, but each one is drawn away by his own desires. That word desire there is the exact same word as lust here. He said each one is drawn away by his own lusts, his own epithemia, his own forbidden desires. And when he continues to think about those desires, he, they're just desires, they're, they're yearning. But the more you think about it, the more you try not to or want to, it will turn into action. The desire conceives and it brings forth sin and sin brings forth death. So he said, listen, if you've died to sin, how could we live any longer in it? He said, we should go ahead and, and not let sin have its place in our mortal life and the desires that come from it. He said, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your, in, your, in, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He said, listen, now it's coming down to this. He's just talked about something that you can imagine. Man, I died with Christ. I raised with Christ. It's kind of that thing we can get excited about in church. He says, but now there's something moving from this place of understanding. If, you're, if, you're, if it's in your emotions, yes, I want to do that. It's in your thinking, yes, I'm going to count myself dead indeed to sin. He said, now it's going to come to a place of action. You are going to have to take your members and give them over not to sin, but to righteousness. Not to your own desires and what you want and what you think will feel good, but to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For we, if we accept that gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's where we begin to be empowered to reign over sin and death. We reign in life. And so he again brings that up in verse 14. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 
not under the law, but under grace. So he said, listen, this is really, uh, one writer said, this is the power, really, of, of the difference between law and grace. He said, the moment that we can live our life not under the fear of what God will do to us if we make a mistake, but to live under confidence of what Jesus has already done for us. And if we live under confidence of what Jesus has already done for us, and we know the love, and we enter into the love that he has for us, it's not a reason to go, God loves me, God forgives me, I'll go ahead and sin. Because after all, God loves me so much, it doesn't matter what I do. He loves me. He'll forgive. That's awesome. That was never the question. We make that a question like, do you think God will not love me anymore? Never the question. The question comes down, do we understand what Christ did, and do we love him in return enough to respond in kind? In other words, not go ahead and sin against him, but live our life for him and with him every day. When we understand true love, the human love says, I'll do for you as long as you're doing for me. And then when we feel like God's not doing for me, I'll do my own thing. Or whenever I do my own thing, God still loves me and rescues me. Praise the Lord. But in a true relationship, we understand that God loves us. And so how do we live under grace instead of the law? Not always, not just not doing anything. Well, we don't have to do anything then. If we're not under the law, we don't have to do anything right if we do everything wrong. God still loves us and forgives us. That's grace. He said, no, you enter into a place of grace and righteousness that through this relationship that you have, this now right relationship, that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new, and everything is of God. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now I've been right, restored, reconciled to right relationship, Father, Son, King, Prince. I now have a different relationship. Not a, I'm not a foreigner and a stranger. I'm not guided by sin in the course of this world. I'm not dictated to and loving the things of the world and the things that please my flesh. I'm now a lover of God, and God's a lover of me. Praise the Lord. How many loving relationships do you have that you're like, I, they love me. I'll just go out and mess up as much as I want because they'll just forgive me. That doesn't make for a good relationship for anybody. But when you fall in love and you have a loving relationship, you want to do things that please the one that you love. Well, that just sounds like works to me. No, it's love. Sorry. <laughs> it's just right relationship. Well, I shouldn't have to do anything. Well, the, just on that standard, then the person in your relationship doesn't have to do anything for you. And if they don't have to do anything for you, and you don't have to do anything for them, then how is that relationship? That's a Selah moment for most of us. Huh. Because literally, we don't say it, but we think, if you love me, you just take care of everything, forgive all my mistakes and stuff like that. But I don't have to forgive your mistakes. You make a mistake, that tells me you don't love me. Well, I should be able to do whatever I want, make whatever mistake I want, and you still love me, and it doesn't matter. So I'm just going to keep living on like what I do, and you follow me around and forgive me and pick up the pieces, but it doesn't reciprocate. That's not relationship. And even if we have that thinking, the other person should have the right to do that, that's not relationship. And so God says, I've come and I've loved you first. I've given Jesus for you. I've restored the, the thing that was broken. I put it back together. And now we have relationship with one another. And because I love you, when you have a revelation, you love in return. And this means we have a relationship. And because of that relationship, we have shared responsibility. The early church knew that. They didn't get into the place of like, no, no, I have no responsibility. That's works. No, the works of, uh, of the law and the works that you bring under the flesh are not the good works of loving somebody. Right? So if Tasha was raised under a love that every time somebody needed something, they did something good for her, and that's the only time they ever did something good for her, and I fell in love with her, and I did something for her just because I wanted to, because I loved her, 
She might say, why'd you do that for me? Because I loved you. Oh, no. You're working towards something here. No, it's not works. I'm not doing it to be loved. I'm doing it from love. And if she can get that, then she's going to, it's going to endear her to me because I did it from love, not to get love. But if I have to keep striving to feel like I'm going to get love, it's an endless process. But when I do it from love, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And so he's saying, man, just understand this, that when you're in this place, you're no longer under the dominion of sin and the law of what God might do because you didn't make it, because he's done everything to set you free to do what you're going to do out of love, out of relationship. You're no longer governed by the law, whether I do it right or wrong. I'm governed by grace and that righteous relationship that empowers me to do what is good. So again, he makes this statement, and the Roman church says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul's like, hey, y'all are tough nuts to crack. Keep coming back. Doesn't your mind always come back to, okay, then I can make that mistake. That's cool. Oh, I can stay in that sin. That's cool. I can still have that desire that I know is against God. That's cool because God will forgive me. Thank God. It's cool that God will forgive us. It's not cool that we keep trying to find a way to sin and still have God forgive us. It's just overtime work trying to think how you do that rather than just go, why don't I just leave that behind? That's the thing that keeps messing with everything anyway. That's the thing that's messing with my emotions, messing with my, my, my mind, messing with my body. It's the thing that keeps messing how I'm trying to figure out how I can get away with something instead of just get into Christ. Why would you want to get away with something or get away from him when you've been joined to him? And that's all that sin will do is take you away from what he has planned through relationship with him. She said, what shall we say? Uh, praise the Lord. We're not under sin, but under grace. He says, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Really, in verse 9, he says, man, I hate to, to talk about slavery here because you're really free, but I'm talking about in human terms that you would understand. Now, as Americans, we har hardly understand these terms anyway when we come 2,000 years later because we've been in a free nation. But we, if, we can, if I can explain it like this, you know, we, we get to that point. We can look at our, our employer and go, man, this is like slave labor, man. I'm working like nine, ten hours a day. This is slave labor. Not getting paid enough. This is like slavery. But we don't understand slavery because when you go home at 10 o'clock, you are your own. You can play golf. You can hug your wife watch TV, you're still free. You work those hours, you get a paycheck, you're still free. But Paul was talking to people that truly understood slavery. They worked all day. And every minute of every day, not one of it was their own. It belonged to their master. And so he said, when you were under sin... Every single minute of every single day, the enemy was using you to stir up desires and want-tos and things, not only to destroy your life, but as people watched you, you were an instrument of unrighteousness to sin, luring others into your way of life. Come join me. He needs you as an instrument or a weapon of unrighteousness. So he says, when you give place to sin and you walk in that and you're under the slavery, the enemy is going to utilize you to bring others into that through relationship. You're an instrument of unrighteousness to sin. Come on, it's no big deal. Let's do it. Right? Nobody here, I'm sure, has ever had joined anybody or 
Well, let's just use it this way. If you're a parent, you see it. <laughs> just for fun. I don't want to make anybody mad tonight. So if you're a parent, you see it. You never see it in yourself. You never see it in the friends you hang around. But if you're a parent, you all of a sudden see, man, those people, my kids, those, those other kids, my, my teenagers are hanging around. They're drawing my child into something. And they may not know it, they just were drawn into it, and they've given themselves to it, and now they're a slave of it, and they're an instrument of, God, uh, of the enemy in it to draw others in. And it's, it's perpetual. And it's not that we wrestle against flesh and blood against that person, but when they give themselves to it, it begins to work, and the enemy, through his powers, is manipulating as an instrument of righteousness. Even so, God says, in righteousness, I want you to live every day in every way knowing you are his. Not that he's dominating you, but when you live this life and the righteousness, the relationship now is the dominating force in your relationship. The relationship is what takes dominion over your thoughts and your minds and your heart and your desires. He says, you're going to go around and people are going to be drawn into that same thing. God will use you as an instrument of righteousness, not use you and throw you away, but draw you in even closer and draw others in closer because you're an instrument in his hand, a weapon for righteousness against what the enemy's doing to kill, steal, and destroy people's lives. Now you're in God's hand in righteousness and it influences people as a weapon to pull them out of sin and unrighteousness into relationship with God. We can either be those in God's hands drawing people into righteousness and relationship or instruments in the enemy's hand drawing people away from God into a compromised life. He said, don't, don't let yourself, and it's your choice and my choice. He said, when you lend your members over to this, you become enslaved by it and you become an instrument of those things. But when you lend yourself over to the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ, he said you become an instrument in his hand to draw other people in. He said when you live in, in righteousness with God, it's, it's hard to describe it as slavery, but you've made a choice to have him fulfill every minute of every day of our thinking, of our emotions, of our desires. And he says if you allow that to happen, you're actually set free into who you were created to be. You were created to be right with God. You were created to walk in obedience with God and have dominion, not be dominated by sin, but have dominion over all the works of God's hands. That what we, that's what we were created to do. And sin broke that, and sin began to enslave and dominate us. But when we're restored to righteousness, now we reign or we have dominance over the things that try to control us rather than be controlled by them. How do we do that? By the power of God, by, by having God relationship with the one who has ultimate dominion. It's true freedom and liberty. Come on. So he's eliminating. So should we sin? We're not under the law. No, don't sin. Sin will captivate you. Sin will use you. Sin will use you as an instrument to draw others away from God. But if you give yourself to righteousness, God, you'll be an instrument in his hand to draw others into righteousness. Praise the Lord. I got to figure out where I am. In verse 19, it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Think about lawlessness is it just promotes lawlessness. See, when you live under sin and those desires for what is forbidden, the moment you step out and do what is forbidden and nothing happens, it yields to more of what is forbidden. And it just starts to go and breed more lawlessness. Lawlessness upon lawlessness. He's talking to the church at Rome, things that they understand about slavery, about lawlessness. It was a very lawless society. When you study it in Rome, there, there began to be this place, even in Rome, it sounds uh, eerily, eerily familiar if we're not careful and the church doesn't rise up and understand that they got to the place where their own desires and their own lusts overtook them. 
to even in the place in Rome at one point in time that really children became a burden. And in that type of society, men were, were, were uh, re- revered and, and, and looked at. So many times when they felt like too many children, girls were just cast aside. Girl children were just cast aside. So the forum was sometimes filled with baby girls and people of all kinds of uh, bad intent would come and just collect those baby girls. And back then, those baby girls would be caught up then in what we would call sex trafficking. They were put into the brothels and everything. So one writer and historian said, you might be careful that the woman in the brothel that you're having sex with may be your own daughter. He said, that's how lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. It starts out just thinking, this is just my desire. It's a forbidden desire. I shouldn't do it. Oh, but I did it and didn't seem like anything happened. So I'll do it again. I'll do it again until all of a sudden it doesn't seem like I even care. But then there's another beyond that and beyond that. There's broken hearts everywhere. There's lives shattered everywhere just from a simple beginning of saying, I know it's not God's desire. I know I shouldn't, but there's something in me that wants to, and I'll yield to it. And it leads you into something that has a progression that breaks and destroys and steals from what God had planned. And so that's why he's saying, don't, don't lend yourself over to this because the enemy will use it not only to kill, steal, and destroy, but there will be others involved in that. But when you give yourself to God in, the, in that righteous relationship, that loving relationship, you'll live it, you'll draw more into that. He says, for that righteousness, verse 20, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, when I was sinning, it didn't matter to me if I served God or not. Right? The carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It can't be. It only thinks of the flesh and what the flesh wants. That's the carnal mind. But the mind of the spirit is always thinking of life and peace and righteousness. I know it just seems like in here, you know, I might be wrong. It might just be the enemy talking to me. It seems like we go through this and people are like, oh, my God. Immediately, your flesh, the enemy's trying to tell you, this is like the law. This is another thing to do, another thing to do. No, this is not another thing to do. This is falling in love with him and being empowered by his grace and through love. Love for God energizes doing right. When I love God, I'm not just doing it to get him to love me. Oh, I got to do it. No, I'm not talking about getting it to love him. I'm saying stay away from the enemy, man. He'll just tear you up. God loves you. And when you fall in love with God and you have intimacy with God, you spend time with God, he energizes you to do what's right. It's about him becoming famous for what he's done in his goodness, not you becoming famous because now you're doing something and God should be really happy about that. No, we're all moving together. And he energizes us so we don't get weary in well-doing. Verse 21, when he said this, you were free from righteousness. He said, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. He said, listen, when we lived as slaves of sin, we did it. We weren't even considering what was right. But we come to a point of saying, what in the world was I doing? What was I doing? It was leading to something that was taking me away from God. It wasn't helping. It wasn't helping move things forward. What was I doing? Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin. Whoo, take a deep breath. Now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end to everlasting life. He said, come on now. You don't have to stay in that same old cycle no matter what the devil says. You've broken, you've been buried in baptism. You died to the old sin, the old sin nature. You raised to a newness of life. Your nature is now 
the life and the nature of God through righteousness. And once you have a revelation of that change, and that change came place by your own choice to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be immersed in him and baptized as a symbol that that old man is dead and now I'm alive. And in that life, I decide, sin, you'll not dominate me anymore. I'll not put you in, I will not put myself in sin's hands to be an instrument of unrighteousness. But now I am alive unto God. And I put myself in God's hands and in that relationship that he might utilize me through that righteousness to affect others with his goodness and his love. And I'll escape the slavery from sin. And in doing that, I escape the shame and the death that comes with it and the guilt and the condemnation. I escape that. He said, now I'm free. That through sanctification in that process, holiness begins to be produced. And that quality of everlasting life is mine. That eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, the wages of sin is death. He's talking to the church here when they said, okay, wow. So where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. Should we sin? No. You died to sin. We're not under the law. Should we sin? No. Grace empowers you. To stay free from sin, the righteousness of God, the relationship that you have with him, the love that you have for him causes you to walk with a perspective, a discerning, a decision-making that comes out of love for him and his love for you. And it causes us to live in our reverence towards God and our reverence towards other people in a totally different way. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we are those who have been raised with Christ. Amen. We've been raised with Christ. We have a newness of life, not the same old life. So don't let the enemy dog your tracks. Don't let sin try to enslave you and tell you what you must do. But every day, begin to think about, you know what? I live in this righteousness of God. I'm going to let it determine my decisions, consume my thoughts. Again, the, the psalmist said, if you'll delight, delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's a different word, desire. It's not forbidden, things forbidden. It says, we delight in him. He'll give us the petitions of our heart that we've committed our ways to him and God will establish that. And when we're delighting in him, we now, every minute of every day, we're thinking, man, I'm, I'm in the life of God. I've been redeemed by the blood. I'm saved, healed, delivered, set free, and made whole. His spirit's working in me, a new life, bringing new produce of love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I've got his wisdom. I've got his understanding. I've got his knowledge. Woo! I'm no longer living with regret and guilt and shame of the past. I'm living with a future and a hope of the goodness of God and the wisdom of God to carry out my life. I'm depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a newness of life. It's the God kind of life, the God quality of life. I now live by that. What a privilege. What an honor. What a joy. I'm not going back to sin. Praise the Lord. Say what? We're never going to make a mistake? No. Grace is so powerful. And sanctification is a process to holiness. He sanctified us, and now we're learning. And so when we make a mistake, we rush to him. Say that. I made my call, not your call. Forgive me. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So we don't miss a day. We don't miss a beat. Even though we made a mistake, we're not taking it for granted. We're not using it as a get out of jail card. Oh, I made a mistake. Forgive me. I'm going to go back to it. No. We say, I don't want to do this ever again. I'm struggling with this. And I need your grace and your power to help me. Because what's on my mind 
is not I'm going to keep doing this. What's on my mind is when I stop doing this, I'm going to be enveloped more in you. That this thing isn't going to keep me thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, God's going to do something. Something's going to happen someday if I keep doing this. No, it's not my thinking. I'm stopping. My thinking is I'm going to be free from this once and for all. So I think I just need forgiveness, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. We've still got that sin consciousness mindset. We say, I made a mistake. I made my own choice. I went back to making my own choice. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. He washes you, and you say, I'm not coming back here tomorrow. What if I come back tomorrow? You come back and say, this is a process. But if I let sin dominate without coming back to you, I'm never going to make it. But I'm not just doing it so I can go back to sin and feel good about myself. I'm doing it because this is going to change. Because this is no longer who I am. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify and glorify you. Thank you for your word. It's truth and it's life and it's forever settled in heaven. So we thank you. The declaration of who we are in Christ. Our identification with your death, burial, and resurrection. Our righteousness of who we are because of your great sacrifice, that we are set free from sin, its hold, its bondages, its condemnation, its guilt, and its fear, all that has been broken by the power of the blood are receiving that in our identification with your death, burial, and resurrection. Holy Spirit, teach us more about that as we apply it every day of our life that we truly might live in freedom and liberty. We might live under the governance of righteousness, not the slavery of sin. That that which governs the decisions of our life is righteousness and the love of God, not the sin and its desires that would pull us away. Strengthen us in our inner man for this very purpose, that we might rise and enjoy, see, and live in this newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Say this we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Jesus. Bark siege. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.